Let us pray. Father God, here we are. As, as always, Lord, we are grateful that you have called us here as your people to be with one another, to see each other's faces and to see your face and to revel in each other's presence and to revel in your presence. We are hungry for your word. We're hungry and we're thirsty. Fill us. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We are going to be spending our time in mostly in, in Acts chapter 2. You know, I, as many of you already know, or most of you already know, I grew up in a very different place. And I grew up experiencing countless torrential downfall, rainfall, whether it be the monsoon rain, whether it be tropical storms or tropical depressions, whether it be typhoons, it doesn't matter. I grew up around rain and, you know, and, 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 and I can tell you, especially those of you uh, that don't uh, get to experience rain as much, even though uh, we're, it's, it's, it's projected that we're going to be having another wet, very wet winter up here in Northern California. Um, I suppose that's going to be good, right? It's provided that there will be no flooding. Um, it's going to be a lot of skiing for, for a lot of our skiing aficionados here among us. But there you go, yeah. But nothing, nothing to me in my own experience at least, nothing is as thorough and as generous as a torrential downpour. I mean, it drenches everything and everyone in sight. It, you know, it, it saturates everything and everyone in sight. And, and those who manage to stay dry um, and, and uh, through all of this, uh, you get drenched and you get saturated anyway in a very different kind of way. My first conscious memory as a human being, as a child, is that of a torrential downpour. And I've pressed my, uh, racked my brain time and again to push my conscious, conscious memory farther back into my childhood. And I, it's, it's like a wall. This is the first memory. This is the first conscious memory I have. And it's the best one, I must say. It's the best memory I have of, of, of being ushered into this world. And it's a memory of a torrential downpour. Uh, a rain that just keeps go, kept going and would not stop. Um, my mind keeps coming back to, uh, to this experience and, and, and through the years I've tried to, as, especially as I've left the old, the old place and the old country, I, I try to recreate this, the feeling, the sights and sounds of that earliest memory in my life. Uh, all the way down to downloading, you know, that cascading waterfall or music and, and, uh, on my, my phone and, and trying to sleep with it, um, with it on all night. But it's just not the same. It's not the same. My memory begins with me lying down on a mat upstairs, I remember, in my ancestral home across the seas, with my mom on one side and my sister on the other side. And mom insisted that day that we all had to take a nap. And, you know, being a parent now, I realized after so many years that when mom tells you to take a nap, she really needs to take a nap and not, the, the, and not you. Um, because as far as I was concerned, I didn't need a nap. I wanted to play in the rain. But we all had to take a nap and mom insisted that we all needed a nap and I needed a nap. Um, and so, 
that was my earliest memory of lying down on a mat. And there in our old house, which still stands to this day over there in that part of the world. And even though I wanted to play so, so badly, I gave in to the wishes of my mother because she needed a nap and she thought I did. But I remember, I remember that the rain just kept falling on our aluminum roofing. It's an unforgettable experience. If you haven't had that experience before, maybe you should go to Hawaii or someplace where there's lots of rain. Maybe go to the Philippines during typhoon season and rent out a house with aluminum roofing and you'll find out just exactly what I mean when I say, but there's nothing quite like it. The sound of a falling rain nonstop for hours hitting that aluminum roof again and again. It's, it's mesmerizing. It's unforgettable. The sound just saturates the whole house and drenches your, your senses and drowns out all noise that wants to compete. Um, it's mesmerizing. It's like lullaby that just wouldn't end. And I fell asleep. My eyes got heavier and heavier. My eyelids got heavier and heavier. And, and, and I fell asleep. And I woke up, and it's still there. It was like a Pentecost experience to me of being drenched, of being saturated in a very different kind of way. And this is what we find in Acts chapter 2. The Pentecost, which is the word that we use for what happened that day in that room and in that city, in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, which is really far bigger and far more consequential than a one-off, miraculous, weird event that we never get to experience in our life. We like to think that the Pentecost is something, you know, something awesome, but it's really very far from you and my, for, for, from our day-to-day experience. How many of you have ever seen people 9 o'clock in the morning before breakfast, before they've had their breakfast, babbling things that, uh, you know, that you find weird because, um, you know, because you've never seen it before? Especially, let's just say especially, if you find that these people are all, you know, they're, they're all uh, um, immigrants and they, don't, they could hardly speak English. And you find them at 9 o'clock in the morning before they could have breakfast. Back in those days, by the way, breakfast is around 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. Not 6 o'clock before you get to school. You go to school. It was at 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock. Um, and, and there they are, and, and they're, they're, they're speaking things that, that are crazy to your ears, and yet you find uh, this, this you know, awesome experience because you know that they couldn't speak a, hardly a word of English, and here they are, speaking your language and telling you mighty things. Pentecost is far bigger than just a one-off miraculous event. As one theologian observes, however, in the 20th century, Pentecost has become a source of confusion, embarrassment, or division for, for many Christians. 
even as it has become a curiosity, if not an object of ridicule for non-Christians. What is the significance of this weird event? An event that seems so far off, so far away, so long ago, seems so, so far removed even from our normal day-to-day experience. What does this all mean? Let us unfold for a few minutes of our time here together. And I want to unfold this in, 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 in three massive, big movements in a way. What happens there in Acts chapter 2? What is so special about this chapter and what happens there? The coming of the Holy Spirit and Peter addressing the crowd and the first converts, 3,000 in one day. And the believers continuing in their life and, and, and growing the church beyond. In order to understand just how big Acts 2 is, I want you to imagine, imagine for, uh, with me the last big trip you took. No, not the one that we took, many of us parents and our kids, to Modesto. Bigger than that. Not the one that you took, you know, going to uh, Lake Clementine, or even, or even Lodi, or even Sacramento, or even Roseville. I, w- I want you to imagine a much bigger trip that you took maybe with your family, or maybe with your, you know, with your posse. To a different country, perhaps, maybe on an island, maybe, uh, maybe going on, on vacation with, with your family to another country. You planned it, or at least mom and dad planned it months in advance, trying to get just the best flight ticket possible in the, in the bargain uh, ticket, you know, if you, if you can. And you planned, you researched every detail. Where are you going to be today? Where are you going to be tomorrow? Your lodging, your transportation, your activities, your meals, how much it's going to cost. And the expectation as that day of your departure nears, the longing, the excitement, and then finally imagine yourself departing and now it's, you know, it's, uh, uh, you, your flight leaves at 11.50 at night and so you have, to, you, have to, you have to get ready. Your luggages are full of your stuff and, and you're ready to um, load it to your car. And then you travel all the way from your house to San Francisco. You're off. Your departure date has come. And your plane is about to leave. And and your flight is going to take you about 18 hours total. Including all of the, you know, the the shifts and, you know, the the layovers and, and stuff. And then finally, your plane departs. And you're off to your, to, your, to your adventure, to your grand adventure, expecting to arrive just as the, pl- uh, the people who manned the plane say, uh, you're going to arrive, the time you're going to arrive. And then the last leg of your journey comes, and you get on your last plane two hours to go. And then finally your plane touches down and you arrive to your destination. Now imagine this in a larger setting across not 18 hours 
of travel plus the six months of expectations and planning. Imagine a setting that is far more consequential, maybe less fun perhaps than your grand adventure, your, your um, holiday adventure. Imagine a larger setting spread across not 18 hours but 2,000 years. Imagine something far more consequential than your vacation trip. It means your life, your future. Imagine this setting to be Acts chapter 2 setting. When the promise of a new era that has been promised since time immemorial, ever since Genesis chapter 3, or even before that as the Lord or, or, or God peering into the deep recesses of the future, seeing what was going to happen to this world, made a plan for you and me. Imagine, imagine that the promises of God made so long ago, including the one that's mentioned in Acts chapter 2, coming from Joel chapter 2, that Old Testament prophet that, whose book you can never find, it's somewhere in there in the Old Testament, that promise that this new era, this final era in the world's history when God reclaims what is his own, and reintroduces his kingdom into this world in all its power, in all its goodness. Imagine people of many colors and in many places across time longing for this time to appear, to finally come. And it finally does come. That is what we find in Acts chapter 2. The beginning, not just the, a one-off event, powerful as it was, but the beginning of a new day in the life of not just you, but in the life of the world. When the promised era ushered in by the promised Holy Spirit that we find not just in Joel chapter 2, but in different places across the Old Testament, that this promise of God reclaiming what was his and what was lost lost and renewing what was what uh, the things everything actually begins imagine the age old longing and this finally arrives the first passage of pentecost or the first message i should say of pentecost is this that we have arrived. The plane has landed and you're on that plane and it has arrived. We're here. And you ask yourself the question, uh, Pastor, where? Where have we arrived? We have arrived according to Scripture in the last days. And the last days did not start with the preaching of the sermon. It started 
2,000 years ago. It started with Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead. And it officially started. That was the basis for this, that was the basis for this last days. And for God's reclaiming what was his in the first place and renewing everything in this world. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, well, his death, of course, which ushered in his resurrection as if God is telling the whole world, telling you and me that the new creation that has arrived in this world is going to be based on that resurrected life of Jesus Christ. Fully human, fully physical, perhaps the most physical any human being can ever be. Uh, the way God designed us physically, uh, a life that is going to be indestructible. And not only a life that is indestructible for you and me, but the world, the whole world that is also going to be physically indestructible, renewed from its core. And that all else that's needed for anyone that has, that, that, has, um, that has wandered away from this plan from, from God is to repent and to believe that, Jesus, and that, in, that in Jesus Christ, the answer to the promises has come. And that the Holy Spirit has arrived to make sure that this new era proceeds according to God's plan. The first message of Pentecost is that we have arrived in this age. We are here in the last days. It started with Pentecost over 2,000 years ago. And it will end, the last days will end in in the great day of the Lord. A moment in time perhaps when God's project of new creation finally comes to its full fruition and the whole world becomes His. But what we find in Acts chapter 2 is that it describes to us what we, are, what we have arrived to. Once again, the start of the, of the last days did not start Yesterday, or it did not start with with the beginning of the sermon. It started many years ago, and this world has been coming to an end for a very long time. And if we know time to be what it is, that we move from, from past to present to future in a linear fashion, then it, it, is, it, it, it is true. It would be true to say that the last days have not just started, the last days are about to come to an end. What have we arrived to? What were we born to? Just like I I was in my first conscious memory. It's as if God is trying to tell me with my first conscious memory being a torrential downpour that is telling you and me that we are actually in the midst of that torrential downpour. 
Because the Holy Spirit, guess what? The Holy Spirit has been here a very long time. And there is a sense in which the Holy Spirit has been here all along. Because if we find, if we go back to, to, to Genesis chapter 1, we find that the Holy Spirit was, 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 God, was part of God's creative, creative force. And the Holy Spirit is not just a force, He's a person. He's part of the Trinity as we understand it to be. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we find there in Genesis chapter 1, 1 and 2, that the Holy Spirit was here at creation, moving about the unformed substance of this world and forming it from the depth of chaos to the order that God creates. The Holy Spirit's been here a long time and he hasn't really left, but the Holy Spirit's been given in order to, uh, uh, to affect one person or to, to transform a person here perhaps or a person there perhaps, but never as a firefall, never as a torrential downpour to, to usher in the ending or the beginning of the ending of the world. Never has it been done as it was done in Acts chapter 2. So what have we arrived to? And I want to just mention to you three things. Three things that we see. There, there are many things, but our time will, will, will be well over uh, by the time if, if we touched on all of these things. There are so many things here in, in Acts chapter 2. I felt like dividing Acts chapter 2 into three sermons, maybe more, but if I did that, we are going to be, I already promised you that there will be 28 s- s- uh, sermons in this series. It's going to be three times as long as the absolute maximum I was taught in seminary. I was taught, you know, uh, my, my homiletics professor uh, 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 t- uh, told me, don't have a series longer than 10. You will lose your congregation. And here, we, here I am preaching through the entire book, book of Acts. Um, 28 chapters. My, my, my wife actually started counting today because she wanted me to take a little bit of break here and there. And then she realizes this series, if we, if we went at it nonstop, will be over by March of next year. Are you ready? Are you going to be, am I going to be preaching here by myself? Like when we were, uh, when COVID was, was, was here. I hope not. Because God wants us to know what we have arrived to. And here in chapter 2, he tells us in a nutshell what we have arrived to. What have we arrived to? First of all, you will see here that we have arrived to the beginning of new creation. That is based in the life the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when the Spirit arrived in His power, the the Holy Spirit ushered in this new creation and promises that this new creation will grow because of His presence outside of us and His presence inside of us. There are two kinds of presence that we find here in the first few verses of chapter 2, which was read to us today beautifully uh, by by Brennan. Let me just repeat that uh, uh, in verse 2. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and 
It filled the entire house. That's the, the first filling of the Holy Spirit. When you and I come together in the name of God, whether in this place or whether in small groups, which is what we're trying to harp on, the 1923 project to, to return ourselves uh, to that time and place, at least in our minds, in our mindset as, as a people of small groups or, or house, house churches. Whatever it is, the promise of Jesus Christ where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be there. The Holy Spirit gets to fulfill that. And there, there are two ways he, he does that. He fills the place where we gather together as his people. He fills the place. What makes this, um, this, country, uh, this church holy is not the building. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, 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 let me digress for just a minute or two uh, because, you know, I've, I've, I've had to contend with some people. Many, many years ago, I have this, this horror story that I wanted to relate to you. I, I, uh, I go to church one Sabbath, and this was many, many years ago, and, and land far away, uh, a church far away, so I don't want you to confuse. It's not, it didn't happen here. This is not you I'm talking about, and I'm not going to mention any names or any church. So we, we arrive at church one, one Sabbath morning, very early Sabbath morning, and to find all these signs posted on the walls in the church. And it was the t- a Ten Commandments of something. I remember that very distinctly. Ten Commandments. It was not something that the board approved. It was not something that I approved. I was shocked when I saw it because it was Ten Commandments of what not to do in God's holy sanctuary. I'm still growing like many of you. All of you. All of us. And all, oh my word, I got so angry. One by one, I took down those signs. Crumbled them up and threw them in a trash can. Until the family came that did that. And boy, did I get it from them. It's wrong-headed when we put sanctuary before people. And it's not the sanctuary that's holy. It's not the sanctuary that makes the people holy. It's the people that make the sanctuary holy. It's our presence in a place that God, that, that, that God um, makes holy because we are there in his name. That's what it says over here. He filled the place with his presence, with the Holy Spirit's presence. Why? Because this was the same place where all these, uh, uh, the, the disciples had been praying, devoting themselves in, in prayer, uniting themselves, praying for the Holy Spirit, for this new era to finally be ushered in. And when it did, God honored them, honored God's people. By making that place holy because his people in his eyes are holy. It's not the place that's holy. It's the people. When we leave this place, this place is as pedestrian as any other place you can see, you will see out there. When we come here with your presence and with the presence of God and the Holy Spirit, this place is transformed. 
What have we arrived to in, this, in these last days that has been ending for the last 2,000 years? We find that we have arrived to God's final project of new creation that is secured by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit among His people. Don't ever underestimate the power of coming to church. Don't ever underestimate the power of coming together in your home in the name of Jesus Christ. Because where two or three are gathered, the Holy Spirit is there. Like cascading waterfall. Like torrential downpour waiting to be poured out in the room where you're meeting. And secondly, it says, within the hearts and the bodies of of those people that are there. Verse 4, all of them were filled, not just the room, but the people were filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's when they started to do things that no, that, that, that would have been humanly impossible to do. What have we arrived to? We have arrived to new creation that is being formed and being continually formed and grown within the church, in your home, at school, at play, wherever two or three of you are gathered in the name of Jesus Christ. What else have we arrived to? Well, we have arrived not just to new creation, but, but Acts chapter 2 tells us that we've also arrived, actually we've arrived at an intersection between new creation that's being constantly renewed and made better by the Holy Spirit through His people, through you. But we've also arrived to old creation. And this is where things get complicated because this last age of the world's history, the final days that's about to come to an end, that's about to come towards that day, that fateful day of the day of the Lord, the coming of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Jesus Christ, that we find ourselves in a difficult place. And Scripture tells us that it's going to be the most difficult in the entire history of this world. Because, Because even if we have new creation happening, there's old creation that's decaying. And it's going to keep on decaying before our very eyes. Society structures, fallen structures, evil structures, sins that are happening all over the place. We will see them more rampantly. When Peter explains to the, uh, to the people, explains what they just saw as they were wondering, you know, what, what, what could this mean? These people... Nine o'clock in the morning, uh, doing all these miraculous things and, and so on. And, and Peter explains it, and he explains it using the words of the Old Testament prophet Joel. And there in his explanation, we find this intersection, this difficult intersection between new, new creation and, and old creation and what it's going to do. 
We find, first of all, here, starting with verse seven, in verse 17, it says, In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Notice the, the emphasis on all flesh. Not just on Jewish flesh or some ethnic flesh at the exclusion of other ethnicities. On all flesh and then he, he, he gives us, you know, the, the parameters of, of what this new creation means. It's, it says that God's spirit will be poured out in these last days. And, and it says it will cross gender divides. It will cross all the divides that you know of in this world. You will find people that you think are worthless or not as worth, as, uh, not creating as much worth as you, you might think. Uh, uh, doing things nearly impossible or impossible for God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will know no bounds as it is poured out on all men, on all flesh. The first thing he says that will be uh, torn down is that gender, uh, uh, that, that gender divide, whatever that means. Because he says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Not just sons, daughters. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men, there's the old and young division, age division. And then verse 18, it says, even upon my slaves, both men and women in those days, I will pour out my spirit. All societal barriers will come crumbling, crumbling down because in this new creation, everyone is equal before the foot of the cross. Nobody is above anyone. We are all the same before God. And then he describes in verse 19 and, and onwards, you know, things that are going to be happening in society. And there are two ways we can take this, either literally or figuratively. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm here to tell you we can take, uh, take them both literally and figuratively. That these things will be happening. In other words, that this world is decaying. It's, it's about, it's, you know, it's about to, to crumble because it is decaying. Verse 19, And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. And when we see these things metaphorically, you will, we will see that in the, in the, in, in, in the um, if, you know, the, uh, the people that were listening to uh, the, uh, uh, or, or reading this for the first time in the days of the New Testament would have seen in these words, would have seen telltale signs that the society as, wait, as they knew it and the society that we know it will be crumbling down. And in, this, in all of that, with the preaching of the gospel and with the crumbling of society, it says in verse 21, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amazing. Storyline, isn't it? And when I think of these things, you know, it, it, um, I was marking my Bible because as I think of this, 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 you know, this 
interesting um, dynamic of new and old interplaying with each other. Sometimes we wonder, you know, we, we get, you know, we, we, sometimes we get a little bit too pessimistic or maybe fearful. That somehow the gospel may not, may, may, may win, but maybe, maybe, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, it's, and I'm drawn to a text in scripture that, uh, to Revelation chapter, chapter 5, chapter 6 as a matter of fact. You probably, um, you probably have read this before, I'm, I'm sure you have or remember this, the, you know, the, as the seals are being torn open uh, uh, in, in this visionary uh, tale of, or visionary uh, uh, writing of chapter 6, we find four horses. One horse is a white horse and somebody riding on that horse with a st- the crown of victory and with a sword and he's going out to, con- to conquer, representing Jesus Christ and him resurrected. And then we find that he, he, he gallops and he, you know, he gallops all over the world, we, uh, we imagine, because he's already victorious. And then we find three other horses that are following him in his wake, trying to destroy what he has recreated. Three other horses galloping side by side with the gospel, with the resurrected Christ, with you and me. That's what it is. That's what we find in this world. That's what we have entered, we have arrived to. A new world and an old world. But there is no reason to be fearful or to fear that the cause might be defeated. Because we find that that same horse, by the time we get to Revelation chapter 18, we find that 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 white horse will be galloping alone at the end of the day. And that all those other horses that are seeking perhaps to dethrone the white horse will all fail. That is a beautiful message, isn't it? Here's the writer, actually, in, verse, in chapter 19. At the end of the day, this is the ending of this story, folks. It says, Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. That same horse that we find in Revelation chapter 6 is still around. But there is something conspicuous, conspicuously missing. Those other horses, the red, the black, the dapple horse, they're all missing now. Where are they? They've been defeated. And its rider is called faithful and true, and in, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns. There's a difference between the crown that he wears in Revelation 6. The Stephanos is the, wear, the crown that he wears in, in Revelation 6. That's the crown of victory alluding to the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross. Here, it's the crown of royalty, diademos, diadem. As if to remind us 
that when Jesus Christ comes, it will not be a victory lap. It will be as a king come to reclaim completely what has been lost. And what is your place in this place we have arrived to? And this is the third part that I'd like for you and me just focus on for the last couple minutes of our time here together. Our place in this new creation, old creation, is to be witnesses for God. Witnesses that new creation truly does exist, and it exists in us, and it exists in associations with each other, the way we live our lives, the way we conduct ourselves, the way we treat others outside of the walls of this church, of our home, of our schools. That new creation is not only here existing, but new creation is thriving and it's pushing back against the forces of evil, of darkness, that is wanting to snuff it all out. At the end of chapter 2, we find this amazing picture that the wandering of the unbelievers which started at the beginning of chapter 2 turns into awe when they see what new creation is truly like. Here's what it's like. Verse 43. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Is what new creation is like. That is the 1923 project. That is what our future is like. As I said at the beginning of the sermon, so I said again, I didn't grow up around fires, and I don't like fires, I hate it. I mean, I like to cook, so I like fire. I like fire to cook with. I can only remember one instance as a child when I was confronted with a massive fire. It was a fire caused by, you know, by, by lightning, and it came very close to the, uh, to the, uh, to the school that uh, I, I was attending, and and we were all still there, you know, in our classes. And f- finally, the, suddenly the, uh, the, uh, the, the bell rings and, you know, everybody, 
everybody runs out of the, of the classrooms and, and, and our principal was, was crying out to everybody, fire, fire, fire. And it was fire. And it was a, like a wall coming forward, coming towards the school. And get this, I, it's a different world. Don't judge. Because what the principal did next is something probably not a, not a single one of you would have done. Because he said, go fight the fire. <laughs> and so all the kids ran to the, to the fire. Grabbing whatever we could, twigs and stuff like that. You know, just to... You know, just try, try to kill them. And I, was, I stood in front of a 10-foot fire. It was ready to engulf me, and I was so scared. And I was saved by a bucket from, from, from a guy who had come from the, from the village and doused that fire in front of me and started to smoke a little bit. And I ran, uh, ran back a few, a, few, a few feet back and started to fight again that, that fire. That was my only exposure to fire as a kid until I got to California. (laughs) When I realized that fire spells California. Remember that massive fire in in Southern California which engulfed pretty much, you know, uh, the entire of Southern California, it felt like in 2004. I remember that very distinctly because that was the year when my wife was finishing her her doctorate studies at Loma Linda. Uh, This was before the kids came along, so this was BC, before before children. And and, and I would drive her, we we lived up in the high desert in Apple Valley where the kids were born uh, a few years after. My wife and I decided we need to get our schooling done before the kids come along. I, I, I tried. She succeeded. I failed. I would drive her those nights to, to you know, after, after she had um, her day, uh, you know, of work. And I'd drive her to Loma Linda so she could take night classes for DPT. And, and I remember the fires would just pop up everywhere. It felt like. But one night, we were down there in Loma Linda. We almost couldn't go home because fire broke out in the, the, in the Cajon Pass, which separates, you know, the Inland Empire uh, to uh, the, uh, uh, the high desert. And we almost couldn't get home. That was when fire started to get really real for me for the first time. And in that place where there's hardly anything to burn, it seemed like, fire got to about seven miles of the church I was pastoring at that time. And then, a couple of years ago, was that a couple of years or two years ago, when river fire came. And I remember my wife texting me, there's fire close to the house, you got to run home. The pets, the pets, never mind everything else, the pets need to be saved. And so I rushed back home and I was driving up at 80 and I could remember the shock I had when I saw this mushroom cloud, this huge plumage. And there was a little... Uh, there's a little plane circling that, and I realized it was Dave Crusoe. <laughs> I was going home, and I thought, oh, my word. This fire is going to lick everything in sight. All the fires that we come to experience destroy and consume. The fire of the Holy Spirit is of a different kind. 
is a fire that transforms. And that fire is in you, and that fire is in your midst. In Jesus' name, not to consume the world, but to transform it by the grace of God, by the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that the world will know that when Jesus Christ began this final era, it's here not just to survive, it's here to be victorious over all. And you're part of that program. This is Firefall 2.0, as one book puts it. Now let me ask you this question as we end. Are you ready for the adventure? Let's not focus on the end of days. Focus on the mission. Because the end of days is about to come to an end. And when that happens, where will you be? I want to be part of new creation. Because scripture says, I am new creation. And so are you. The Holy Spirit has been here. It's here to stay. And he wants to be in you. And wants to be in our midst. To repeat the things that were done back then. And greater still, if we have the faith to believe that he will do it. And he will. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. This verse points not just to the future, but to the present. Jesus Christ has started it and he will bring it to pass completely when he returns. And Justin will be there. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the gift of the Spirit. We thank you for the privilege of having been born and of living in the last days. Because your spirit is here. And because Jesus is alive, there is no cause to fear. And we are already victorious in Jesus Christ. Help us to live our lives as your witnesses here and outside the walls of this place. In Jesus' name, amen.